You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life, with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 57th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. Today I'll be discussing uncovering and eliminating self-sabotage. Have you ever noticed you can be your own worst enemy? We tend to be hardest on ourselves, way harder than we would be with anyone else. Are you aware of the voice you have in your head that berates you for the tiniest infraction? I have that voice. It sounds something like this. Wow, Kim, that was really stupid. Or, how could you be so clumsy? Or, what's the matter with you? Why are you being so lazy today? Or even sometimes, how did you let yourself get so fat? When you think of the monologue playing in your head, could you ever see yourself saying those things to any other soul other than yourself? Of course not. You are likely kind, supportive, and encouraging to others. You would help your friends, coworkers, and children feel better about a mistake they made. You're likely a cheerleader for people. Why do we not do the same for ourselves? You know criticism is not the way to truly motivate someone. On a good day, you know criticizing yourself does not motivate you, it demoralizes you. So why do we do it? I'm not saying you don't have conscious times of building yourself up. That can happen because you know it's a good thing to do, to cut yourself some slack sometimes. You know all about self-esteem, positive affirmations, and self-care. When you're aware and paying attention, you know how to do the right things. But what happens when you let your guard down? AA has an acronym describing triggers of potential relapse called HALT, H-A-L-T. It stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. These words describe feelings we may have that place us in a weak and vulnerable position. It's during these times, and I would add stress, anxiety, depression, fear, and anger, that place us in a weak and vulnerable position. We know from research that whenever we're in an emotional state, our higher order thinking pauses in favor of our baser human survival behaviors of flight, fight, or freeze. It's when our brains are not thinking clearly that we tend to rely on our automatic behaviors that we know and are familiar. For whatever reason, many of us use these automatic behaviors, including being ultra hard on ourselves. We don't treat ourselves the way we would a friend coming to us for help. Truly, we can be quite abusive to ourselves, and that's when we can actually hear the voice in our heads. Typically, this voice is our own, as if we were having a conversation in our heads, only it's usually one-sided. The critical voice in our heads just keeps berating us and putting us down. We don't usually engage in any defense of ourselves. We listen to the tirade in silent agreement and shame. This can be particularly difficult when we've been victims of trauma. This is because in our trauma, we lost all self-efficacy. Our personal power was taken away. When this happens, it's naturally traumatic. Often, in our best attempt to maintain some power in the situation, we take responsibility for it. In this way, we believe we can do something in the future that would lead to a different outcome. The mind could not survive believing that we were completely powerless. 
Therefore, we can be powerless again and again and again. To prevent that realization, victims of trauma often blame themselves for what someone else or fate perpetrated on them. Women who have been victims of rape often question it was because of something they were wearing. Maybe she was too drunk. Did she somehow send mixed messages that were confusing for the perpetrator? Children who've been molested by an adult, particularly when the adult groomed them to believe this, will come to think that the trauma they were forced to endure was somehow because they look so much like their mother, sat on the lap of their perpetrator, or worse, or did something provocative. Victims of domestic violence and narcissistic partners also look for reasons for the abuse and frequently land on the erroneous explanation that somehow their partner's behavior is their fault. Is it any wonder, with this kind of background, we not only have the usual voice of our own critic in our heads, we also have the voice of our abuser chiming in. At some point, we came to believe the things they told us repeatedly, and so we beat ourselves up and self-sabotage even more. We often think of ourselves as broken and undeserving of anything good. Occasionally, the voice in our heads might belong to one or both of our parents. I'm not talking about the abusive parent now. I'm talking about a typical average parent. Most parents are not superheroes, despite our early beliefs that they might be. When we're young children and completely dependent on our parents, we tend to think of them as superheroes who are all-knowing and all-powerful. We can put them on a pedestal and often do. The thing about this is that our parents are not superheroes. They're simply ordinary people doing the best they can to muddle through the awesome job of parenting without any prior training except for the parenting they receive from their own parents who are doing the same. As long as we hold our parents on that pedestal, anytime they're simply being human and responding in anger or frustration toward us, being critical, how can we not believe what they're saying? They're our everything. And if they say we're being selfish, sloppy, lazy, stupid, too thin, too chubby, too loud, too quiet, clumsy, bossy, or whatever trait they say, we don't always have a way to defend ourselves from that proclamation. If our parent is saying it's true, it must be true, right? Another way our self-sabotage can begin is if our parents are no longer together and they talk about each other negatively to us. This is so difficult for children because when you talk badly about a child's mother or father, that child can easily internalize that criticism because they know they're a part of both of their parents. If the criticism is true of their mother or father, then either it's true of them now or it will be in the future. When there's animosity between parents and a parent says to you, you're just like your mother or father, it's taken as a verdict on their character. When these events happen, the voice in our heads can sound like our abuser or our parent. And sometimes our sabotage is buried so deep, we don't hear the voice. Maybe it's a whisper that's almost imperceptible, or it's buried so deep, all we know is that we have trouble moving forward towards our goals, but we don't understand why that is. The first thing to understand about self-sabotage is that it's completely normal. Almost everyone has some version of self-sabotage they still have or have worked through. Sometimes that working through goes on for a lifetime, 
but we can get much better at moving ahead as we start to unpack it and do the work. So knowing this is normal will help you not add self-sabotage to the list you're going to beat yourself up for. It's extremely common. I worked four years with successful professionals who were writing their first books. I was their book coach and have never worked with an author who didn't engage in some form of self-sabotage. And these were high-performance professionals. It's normal. Sometimes self-sabotage is deeply buried. It's interesting when this happens. One of the ways I've found to uncover it is to notice when someone wants to achieve a goal, they have the skills they need to be successful at it, but they just don't make progress. This is such a common occurrence. You may even recognize it in yourself. You want to lose weight, you know how, but you just don't. You've committed to an exercise plan, but half the time you talk yourself out of it. You want to write a book, but you keep allowing other trivial things to creep into the time you've set aside to write. You're committed to being patient with your children and find yourself losing your temper with them. There are all kinds of ways we self-sabotage. Sometimes we think we don't deserve to be happy. Did you know you have a comfort zone for happiness? As long as you're in that preset comfort zone, you're comfortable. But when you move out of that zone, either towards unhappiness or joy, self-sabotage can kick in and stop you from moving out of your comfort zone. Some other comfort zones exist in the areas of finance, relationship satisfaction, weight, and others. Have you noticed any of that in your own life? You're striving towards something and you get so far and then slide back again? It might be self-sabotage. Why does it happen? There's several reasons. One is that we don't want to go for the goal because we don't want to fail. I once worked with a man who wanted to be a business coach. He had so much knowledge he could have written several books on the topic. He researched and researched and researched. He got a company name. He networked, but he could never leave his job to do coaching full time. We did some work around the issue and he decided his problem was that he feared failure because if he failed he would lose his dream and then he'd have nothing. He'd rather have the dream of being a coach he could make some progress towards but never accomplish than to fail at it and have to admit he lost his dream. A second thing we fear is being successful. I know on the surface that makes no sense. But what's going on when you're afraid of success is you have a belief about something that will change about your life when you're successful that you don't necessarily want to change. I find I can get to this information by asking the question, what would you have to give up to get what you want? This is a question I like to ask when my client is calm, relaxed, and quiet. The answer to this question is typically not residing in our conscious mind. We need to be relaxed enough to allow it to move from the subconscious to the conscious. People are often surprised when they hear themselves answer this question. I was working with a woman on losing weight. She had a lifetime history of losing the same 25 pounds. She'd lose it, then gain it back, sometimes more, and then she'd lose 25 pounds again, and on and on she went. One day, I asked her what she would have to give up 
to lose the weight she wanted, and she answered, my husband. We were both surprised by that answer. When we explored it, we learned that her husband had a drinking problem. He was probably a functional alcoholic. She thought if she conquered her food issues, then her husband's drinking problem would look much worse to her than it did now, and she might have to leave him. She loved him, and she didn't want to lose him. In cases like this, it's important to explore if there's a way to have both. In other words, is there a way to lose the weight she wants and stay married to her husband? Most people in this fear of success situation have put themselves in an either-or bind. They think they can only have one of the two things they want. When this question is posed, is there a way for you to have both, they can often find a solution. The problem is that if one stays in the subconscious, then they can't even ask this question, let alone find the both-and solution. A third possibility is the person doesn't think they deserve the success. This can come from early childhood programming or even later programming. For example, a woman may want to leave her abusive husband, but the husband's convinced her she's worthless and no one would want her. She likely won't leave because she has her husband's voice telling her she'll be helpless without him and she believes it. A fourth possibility is that the person doesn't want to leave people behind. Sometimes when people grow in the direction of their goals, they know they'll have to leave others behind. Maybe you play in a garage band with a bunch of your friends and an agent heard you play and wants you to play guitar for a well-known band, but your friends, the other musicians, weren't invited. You may shy away from the opportunity because you don't want to leave your friends behind. A final reason someone might sabotage themselves is the fear of showing someone up. I once worked with a woman who was an entrepreneur just like her father had been before her. She really looked up to her dad and always worked hard for his approval. She found that she had a financial comfort zone she just couldn't break through. She wanted to. She had the capacity, but something was holding her back. We explored things, and she realized she was holding herself back so her dad wouldn't be jealous of her success. Her dad, while mildly successful, was never the big success he'd hoped to be. My client was worried she would lose her father's love if she exceeded his business accomplishments and financial achievements. Once this fear was out in the open, we were able to examine the veracity of it. Was it true? How did she know it was true? Was it possible she was wrong? My client had been telling herself that her father would be jealous of her success based on one random conversation they had where she had interpreted his dismissive demeanor as jealousy, when it could have been any number of things. She realized she'd made up that story in her head and wasn't even fully aware of it. When she checked and realized it wasn't true, she was able to crush her income goals for the year and her father was proud of her, not jealous. The key to self-sabotage is to bring it out into the open. When you notice you're unable to achieve something important, even though you come close, it's a good possibility that self-sabotage is the culprit. It's important to reflect on what might be causing it. Speaking with a coach can be helpful too. If your sabotage may be coming from an unresolved trauma, you may even want to speak with a counselor. It's tricky to try to ferret out your own self-sabotage, but give it a try. 
If you can't seem to get to the bottom of it, engage the help of a coach or counselor. You'll get through this block much faster than you would on your own. Once you figure out what you've been thinking, you can bring it from the darkness of your subconscious into the light of your consciousness, where you can thoroughly examine it. You want to see if it's true. If not, you can discount it. If it is true, then you want to see if it still carries the same weight for you. Maybe you don't even care about it anymore and you can proceed forward. If the problem is that you want two things, you can work towards finding a both and solution. The great news about examining your thoughts is that once you discern what they are, you're in the powerful position of being able to change them. When they're subconscious, how can you change what you're unaware of? You can't. Bringing those thoughts into your conscious awareness allows you to create affirmations that can help you override those thoughts to overcome the sabotage. You are literally programming your brain to think differently, thoughts that serve you instead of sabotage you. Resist the temptation to think of yourself as battling your self-sabotage. When you give these remnants of thoughts left over from your ancient history or from someone who is tearing you down to help themselves feel more powerful, you give them greater importance and strength than they deserve. I want you to think of them as thoughts that once served you. Likely they were created to keep you safe. Children align with the thoughts of their parents so their parents will continue to love them and take care of them. Abuse victims align with the thoughts of their abusers subconsciously so they can justify staying in the relationship because leaving is even more terrifying than staying sometimes. These thoughts were once your friend, or at least supported what you needed at the time. I want you now to think of them as old thoughts that no longer serve you. You've outgrown them. You've become stronger than those thoughts, and your goals are realistic. You're deserving of accomplishing those goals, and you have the strength, skills, and knowledge to get there. If you determine one of those is lacking, you'll know how to get the assistance you need to improve. That self-sabotage, your old friend, is not something you need to battle. Thank it for its service and retire it out to pasture. No battles. Just a thank you, and then dismiss it. It's no longer important to the person you are. You are enough. You have always been enough. It's time to embrace that knowledge and go create the life you want. You just finished listening to an episode on the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at the Relationship Center on Instagram or Facebook. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll be changing the focus to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'll be interviewing my new friend, Buddy Thornton, about diversity, choice dynamics, and family relationships. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.